0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another canine cop shop talk. And uh, today I have Justin Rigney with me, and we're going to talk about a really cool topic. Um, Justin and I, we have actually spoken on the phone about this, and that's when we both decided, hey, man, this is a great topic to talk about on video. Um, So, Justin, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you being on the air
1: with us. My pleasure, man. I'm honored to be here with you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. So for those of you that don't know who Justin is, he is the owner of Canine 9 Services Unlimited. And then Justin, I'm gonna let you tell all our viewers a little bit more about yourself and, and kind of your knowledge base and, and why they should maybe take heed at some of the comments that you, you talk about.
1: <laughs> For sure, man. Hopefully we don't lose any followers or listeners, man. I won't bore them to tears, but uh, I'm a grunt, man. My wife owns a business, man. So I am just a grunt. I'm I'm the do boy, but I appreciate that intro. So for me, man, I feel very blessed in my experience. I uh, It's a little bit different than most uh, police canine trainers or, or guys that get into law enforcement and become dog handlers is that my experience in dogs started long before I became a cop and actually dogs brought me into police work. I grew up in the Northeast and I was born in New York, but raised mostly in Connecticut. And at that point in time, um, going back in the early 90s, uh, the New England region for IPO or and back then was a was a powerhouse. It's a very talented trainer. So, my very first introduction to dogs was a, was a very dear friend of mine, still still today, a guy named Chris Byrne, uh, Canine One or Stonehill Kennels up in uh, it's uh, Ocean, Connecticut. Now, it used to be in Stanford, Connecticut, but he was my very first introduction into dogs and dog training very blessed with that experience where my very first day I was running a guard dog service, man. So, mm. you know, dropping off dogs in a, uh, in a guard dog lot, and, you know, picking them up at night before, you know, or dropping them off at night before the business closed. So, you know, from pet training to decoying to scent detection, to tracking, you know, I got a very good introduction to the dog world from Chris, everything from kennel management first aid, you name it. So from then I met a guy named John Rodriguez, who was the, uh, the president of the Connecticut, uh, Working Dog Association, IPO Club, Powerhouse, very, very strong dogs back then. I just got done playing a little pro baseball once upon a time, so I was still a little bit of an athlete. They put me in the sleeve and the suit right away. And uh, coincidentally enough, the same, uh, one of the directors, the training directors was a guy named Bill Scribner, who was a cop and also ran the Connecticut Police Working Dog Association. So they threw me in the suit. I was decoying for some training and doing Napa water certifications and uh, got the hook, man. I I caught the bug very early, wanted to be a cop. Um, That opportunity presented itself down in South Florida. I moved down there um, late in 2000, got on with the Davie Police Department in 2001, went through the academy during 9-11, and that was an amazing experience to be a cop during that time. Well, none of us ever want to see that tragedy ever occur again, but I think a lot of us would like to go back to the time where it was Mm 9-12, and uh, where the world embraced law enforcement, and uh, things have changed drastically. So uh, I worked a dog very early on in uh, with the Davie police department. It was a, a Malawak, my own breeding program. So one of my greatest achievements for myself, and maybe may not be much to other people, was uh, seeing a dog born on my living room floor, raising him up and deploying him on the street where he's a very strong police dog. To me, it's like winning the World Series, man. So okay. um, that dog that dog went on to be a cool, very cool dog. I uh, left Davie police department, went up to Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office in 2006. I spent a little over 12 years there where I worked two other dogs. Um, a second dog was, uh, you know, taught me so much, man. I, uh, Palm Beach was <laughs> a little bit different story, man. It's a, it's like the wild, wild west, man. A lot of opportunities to work the dog. We see everything in the world there. So very grateful for that experience. Uh, the second dog I uh, had there, my third dog total, um, a dog named Zeke. I still have him. Um, we raised him from a puppy. A good friend of mine, mine named Bobby Sithe, brought him in Germany eight weeks. I helped him train until he was about, you know, four or five months old. He started teething. They got busy with their personal business. Long story short, I bought Zeke from them. He was about seven or eight months old. Continued to train him. Got him on the street where he was He was a very strong dog. And uh, for me, law enforcement has changed quite a bit. I uh, was involved in a shooting a couple of years ago, three years ago, and also filed a lawsuit against my agency for some stuff, man. So all that stuff's behind me, but it actually pushed me in another direction to leave law enforcement early. I spent 17 years as a cop, um, the whole time training dogs. So I've been training dogs about 27 years, I have about 17 years experience in law enforcement where I was blessed to be able to take the experience I learned as a civilian trainer and through ongoing continuing education and apply it into the streets. And one of my greatest mentors, my greatest dog training experiences was Bart and Michael Bellen, um, who created the Nepopo Post System, which is a trademarked um, training philosophy and system where to me, it's the ultimate education in dog training. So several years ago, I went through Silver School, which is a five-day theoretical, all classroom, no dog, um, immersion into Nipopo, And then uh, once that's complete and you pass a test, which they don't give away, it's a 90, 90 point test. I'm sure you have to score 90 on it out of a hundred and they do not give it away, which wow. academia is not my friend, man. So that took me, it <laughs> was challenging for me. Several months later, we come back for the gold where you actually take a dog through that five day course and, and apply what you've known and what you've learned. And I'm grateful to hold that certificate where it allows me to teach Nipopo. I can't certify people in their in their system, but I can teach it. I can speak about it, which I've been grateful to do at at the HITS conference and several private seminars, you know? So throughout my training experience, man, it's, uh, again, being blessed, being with good people from the very beginning, showing me the way where, you know, I call it being a a victim of your geography, you know, depending on who's around you before internet, before YouTube, before social media, we are, we're just a victim of our geography. And I was very grateful to have some very, very talented people teach me early on. And of course, like I mentioned, Bart and Michael Bellon, for me it's mind blowing. I uh I met Bart I think in two thousand and six. I trained with him for about you know ten years before I think I twenty fifteen is when I went through silver and bro, I couldn't wrap my head around it, man. It took me a long time. It took me several years of digesting it and applying it before I was comfortable speaking about it, man. Mm-hmm. So it and again I have I have the bug. You know, it's a never ending learning, never it's an infinite learning curve for me. So I am uh, always out there pursuing more knowledge. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to speak about some things that I know, you know, teaching seminars around the country and uh, teaching law enforcement. We, you know, I uh, moved up to Tennessee a couple of years ago and uh, we continue with Canine Service Unlimited. My very dear friend and business partner, Mike Lilly, retired from the Henry County Sheriff's Office several years, or actually it's been about, about a year now. Uh, he came up uh, and we've seen you know, we're blessed with work and we continue to do a lot of pet training and as well as uh, doing police dog classes as well.
0: Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean about the bug. That's that's like me in the psychology. I I trained dogs for a little over 25 years, and uh, now it's just I just want to focus on the psychology. I'm so obsessed with that niche yes. of it. So I can definitely appreciate the bug. And um, you know, I have to say, you really have an impressive background, and I I know that you're a really good source for some, uh, especially some green handlers out there. And uh, I think the topic of discussion today is going to be, it's going to resonate with some people that haven't heard of this or haven't really um, understood that this happens actually a lot. And that is the auditory exclusion. And I know on one of the um, K9 LEO forums, you had you had, uh, wrote a post on that. And that's actually how we connected. And um, I thought you had some really good points of view. So if you wouldn't mind, let's go, now that we understand your background and, and how you've obtained all this knowledge over the years, um, let's get into this. Could you explain to our viewers a little bit about auditory exclusion and how that affects training or deployments and, and things of that nature?
1: For sure, man, and its uh, I'm, I'm glad we linked up because I'm a behavior guy and I'm a grunt. I can, I can explain what I've seen and what I witness, but I, as far as attaching the anatomy and the brain to it and the chemistry, that's not my genre, man. So I'm grateful that we can kind of link up and, and put these things together. So quite simply, man, there's a lot of debates on outing and, and deploying on the street, and whether you should use a verbal out or you should use a tactical out or strong out or break stick. And, and for me, it comes down to what's happening in the with the dog in the moment. And I teach this to pet owners. I teach this to my canine guys or sport dog handlers. It's not what we perceive that's going on. It's what the animal's perceiving in the moment. And something I teach in my e-collar classes and my simple pet training when owners are trying to communicate and connect with their animals is that that tactile communication training or, or communicating through touch overrides your verbal communication 100% of the time. So if, if you're pulling on the dog's harness or you are grabbing the dog by the flat collar or simply taking a pet dog for a a walk on a leash and a choke chain, you're tapping into opposition reflex and it's a go, go, go signal. And it's also a mood enhancer. So let's say a dog is very fearful of an environment or another approaching dog or a person, and they're trying to back out of their collar. When you put pressure on the leash to kind of hold them still, they're going to fight even harder to get away. And conversely, when we're teaching aggression and tracking where we want the dogs out in front of us with power and, and, and offensive aggression, moving forward, we tap into that, that same reflex to create that go, go, go. So when you're grabbing a dog and you're speaking to him, or bad guys grabbing him and trying to push him off or the environments in a manner that that's tapping into this response to the dog, he can't hear you. And, and I always try to put things in human perspective too. And what I wrote, what I wrote in that article is, and it, it pisses my wife off. I don't do it on purpose is that you know, <laughs> when I, <laughs> you know, the agency I used to work for, man, have 4,000 employees, man. So my phone never stopped ringing for dog training. I had a trust and I established myself down in South Florida. And, but moving into a new market I had to figure out how to make movies and get on social media I'm not friendly with tech as you and I discovered trying to get this whole thing launched um is that I had to learn iMovie I, I studied Gary Vaynerchuk man Gary V and I, I, I figured out iMovie. They went to Apple stores blah 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 so I'm editing these movies I'm trying to add some music and cut and paste if my wife's speaking to me right next to me I can't hear her man that's why I always had the most respect for dispatchers and people and, 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 or first responders or dispatching because they are multitasking. They're carrying on conversations. They're typing, they're getting a new data on the screen, answering phone. I don't work like that. I can't do that. So I experience auditory exclusion in, in a human form, man. And it, and it happens kind of frequently, unfortunately with my, with my wife, but I'm, when I'm physically engaged in a task and my senses are overloaded with my eyes and my hands, the senses that aren't being accessed are my ears and they, they almost go numb. Like the energy, whether it's, you can tell me whether it's blood flow or whatever's happening is that that part, those senses that we have shut down to, to give all the juice to the primary senses, the same thing's happening to the dog. You know, what people don't understand. And of course, you're trying to educate a jury on, on these things, or if your dog didn't let go and you spoke to it is that we, again, we try to educate the human to figure out what's happening with the dog. And, When a dog starts fighting or biting human beings in the real world on a continual basis, it's in a whole nother gear, right? It's a whole nother level of drive, right? Something you can't explain unless you've actually experienced it. So with the certifications that take place annually or or every six months for some agencies, you can never recreate that dopamine spike, the adrenaline dump, you know, those all that hormonal chemistry that's getting exchanged on a live street play. You can try to PT the decoy or PT the handler. So the heart rate's going, you're never having that chemical dump like that's happening on the street. So you're, you're trying to apply techniques in an environment where you can never recreate, man. You can never recreate. What happens when you speak? Dog doesn't listen. The camels are, camels are rolling. Then you put yourself in a position to add dollars to that, to that lawsuit.
0: Sure, sure. Well, and one of the things that I want the viewers to understand is being that I'm a science geek, I kind of want to break that down, if, if you don't mind, if I take a few minutes to break that down in scientific terms. Is that cool with you?
1: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Okay,
0: and I've been teaching this for roughly about, oh, 15 years, but it has to do with a, a portion of the brain, and that's the thalamus, which is, it's very small, and there's actually two lobes to it, and the thalamus is responsible for sensory information. So hearing, sight, touch, pain, smell, so on and so forth, but it has that secondary function of allowing an animal to selectively focus and concentrate on only one thing at a time. Now we kind of fall under the animal spectrum, even though we're just, you know, we're we're smarter and we're more elevated, but we still have those uh, subconscious things that take place. So specifically, um, I I took some notes right out of my psychology book and from a few other uh, sources, but the thalamus works to send neural transmissions to the brain for the regulation, of uh, circadian rhythm in order to suppress body, uh, the body's response to sensations such as sound during sleep, which I thought when I read that, I thought, well, that makes sense. Your body needs sleep, so it's a a primitive reward to, to equal survival. You have to, your conscious mind has to rest, and the thalamus is making it so sounds don't wake you up. Now, some do, and you can condition the brain to overcome that, which we'll talk about in a second, because I'm curious how you condition a dog to respond to the best of a trainer's ability. Um, We'll get to that in a second. But the thalamus also regulates the uh, functionality of higher cognitive functions also. So this tiny little piece of the brain has such a massive response. Um, And two more points, and then I'll end this. It says. Uh, it goes on. and says. Additionally, it is the cent- it is central to the process of impulse inhibition. So damage to this pathway manifests in attention deficit disorder as well. Being, you know, having the inability to only focus on one thing at a time. And the leading cause of damage is lack of oxygen to the brain, which I thought was interesting. And so they say yeah. damage to the thalamus can actually um, affect impulse inhibition, which could be what we're, we're seeing in some cases where you, you know you got these high drive dogs. I've literally seen handlers choke the dog so much that when the dog released and they let go, and the dog had that flood of blood, the dog started you know it looked like the dog was about ready to pass out. Well, that's no sure. different than putting a rear naked choke on somebody and expect them not to wobble a little bit. And the last point that I want to bring up from these writings is this the thalamus allows for the filtering out of information that is rendered insignificant enabling an individual to focus their attention on specific target or task interest bam right there so this is right out of the psychology books and the anatomy books and what you just described you just heard it folks what trainers like Justin and other trainers who understand this auditory exclusion, it's been proven scientifically and I just read it to you. So the question is what do you do when you see your dog having this phenomenon happen more than not? So so what are some techniques that you can give our viewers to kind of combat this to a level? I agree with you in a real life deployment you've got all these you got adrenaline from sometimes five, six police officers that are on scene. You've got the suspect, the adrenaline and their behaviors, especially if they're on like PCP or something like that, where they're not really feeling pain. They're fighting yep. harder. So the dog's fighting harder. Um, so yeah, besides that, because I think people are going to struggle with that no matter what, if they have a, a really high drive dog. Um, what are some suggestions that you could have for our, our viewers on on some training techniques they can... with
1: this? Well I think if the dog is in mid auditory exclusion I think the spoken word is irrelevant man so it goes back to what I was saying before about tactile communication being the necessity so there's several ways to to implement that and and in my world I always my dogs were you know apprehending bad guys was normally a close-quarter combat situation you know we didn't deploy dogs in the cars you know I, I actually have but it wasn't like our protocol to send the dog from a distance to do an extraction we would gas the shit out of the car and wait till they came out. I mean they're coming out at some point if the car is immobile. So there's some guys out west that, that spoke on that uh that topic that were you know super experienced, super talented dudes that, that work in different environments, man. So you know I had a couple running hits in my career, but I was up on top of the guy eventually to make contact with the dog. So in my world, close quarter combat, we were there in close proximity to the dog. So there's a couple tools that I always had my guys prepared to utilize, and that is one is the brake stick. Uh, which became, you know, popular in law enforcement circles several years ago. Um, always the pit bull guys were always about it. They were more of a, a pry bar that they would use. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one it's very, very effective tool. And we don't even speak to the dog. We walk up, we secure the dog, we implement the brake stick in a way that it's supposed to function. And most, I mean, 99.9% of the dogs, they're instantaneously removed. Now, if there's sloppy handling or the the bad guy tries to kick as soon as they're out, there's factors on why the dog may regrip. But as a whole, it's a very clean and fast, effective technique. Uh, My last patrol dog was was pretty easy to remove with a dominant dog collar, which is very similar in the way it's shaped and designed like a choker. Yet, it's got a separate clasp that allows you to uh, specifically fit it to your dog's measurements. So there's several companies that provide those. So where it sits is right underneath the jaw at all times. So I had my guys put a little D ring into the hook so they could find it in the, you know, just a finger with a little pressure. That's very effective for a lot of dogs too. Some dogs build up a tolerance to that. So it's, it's a very fast, effective way. Now the other option too is electronics. So depending on the system that you're utilizing, and I speak about this a lot in, in my e-collar classes that there's companies that distribute equipment that delivers a contracting stimulation where it's actually grabbing muscle, Right. Just mm-hmm. like you've been to the physical therapist, you get the little TENS pads that go on that contract and detract, allows you to get blood flow and send a message to the brain, there's no pain, but also manipulate muscle without moving a joint that's injured, blah, blah, blah. So it's that contracting stimulation. The problem with that is if dog training 101 yesteryear says that you must put your equipment high and tight right underneath the chin, well, that, that network of nerves and muscles underneath the chin, you'll know, close and open the jaw. So if you look at my forearm like the muscles underneath close the hand the muscles up top open if i have a contract a device that contracts my muscle here i can't open my mouth i can't open my hands the same thing for the dog if they're feeling that sensation around their neck you may be saying out 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 or low so whatever your verbiage is but the tactile communication the tactile signal is bite harder it's closing the jaw and again that overrides your verbal so for me, the, the best system in the world is a Martin system that delivers an activating stem that activates muscle, doesn't grab it. And, and of course, when you grab a dog's muscle, it clouds the brain as far as what the information they're trying to, to figure out. How to defeat the contraction? Is it to let go? Is it to go to place? Is it to heal? Whatever the behavior may be, they receive that contracting stimulation. The brain says, boop, shut off. Let me deal with the contraction instead of sinking. Of course, you can counter condition that with momentary stimulation, tap, tap, tap versus continuous. The long story short for me, the Martin systems deliver the fantastic, amazing activation. And the, the most, you know, I'm not a tech guy, so there's not a lot I can speak about, but I can tell you what the features that it has is a rising stimulation. So you can start from a very low level with one push of the button, but you can, you can climb the ladder to find the level of stem that the dog reacts to. And when you train a dog in that system, when they feel the early onset at low stem, with the knowledge that the high stem will come without compliance, they learn to avoid the low signal first. So if the dog is engaged in, in auditory exclusion, guess what? That tap-tap sensation may activate or trigger the behavior faster than, of course, your words that are irrelevant at the time. So right. to me, that, that's a couple of the ways. And you know, I, I sent my dog and a couple of guys. One guy was running across the street. And I, I was able to recall him without needing electronic stem. So when the dogs are in pursuit, I think the ears is a little bit more open <laughs> when they're actively engaged in biting and fighting. <laughs> there's no message getting delivered to the, for the, right. to the ears because all the activation, like you said, that thalamus is, is geared in there, man. So that's, that's what we teach. You got two brand new guys in a school right now, day one, square one, they, they're new guys with experienced dogs. So they're learning how to manage that break stick immediately. So yeah. for me, that's a very effective tool.
0: So well, and I think one of the things that um, you're, you're describing is the whole concept of operant conditioning. Positive and negative punishers, positive and negative reinforcers, and then, of course, repetition, like riding a bike, programs the brain. That when I feel this, if I stop doing what I'm doing, then I get the opposite of that. Instead, I get love and affection or whatever the reward is, right? And so, oh. so I think so many people think – that repetition is the fail safe for everything because it is programming the subconscious mind, but there are so many variables that can take place that's different than what you've repeated. And in some of my other videos, I've talked about that quite a bit, where you can condition a dog that when you feel this stimulus during whatever you created for the training scenario, the dog works fine. But then all of a sudden you change the environment and now you're not getting the same responses which is why that collar you were talking about, I think is actually pretty cool because you have the ability to change the stimulus based on what's happening in the environment and where that dog's brain is going, you know, cause that's
1: Sure Absolutely. No. And what's even more luxurious man is, or, or user friendly is that they have a finger kick. That's a small ring that goes over your finger. Your hand's not consumed with the remote so you can multitask and have access to that, you know, which for a cop and, and tactical work, whatever is gold. Of course, you got to be conscious of sympathetic reaction. Like you meant to tap the E card, but you're pulling the trigger. That's a whole nother story. But, you know, for me, and going back to what you were saying about sleep and how the brain shuts, and it's amazing that you said that because I always articulated auditory exclusion because of the dogs are in a high state of drive. What lower state of drive is there than sleep? <laughs> so your, your body is functioning at a low. And for me, Making those movies that I was telling you about where I don't hear my wife, that, that that's like hypervigilance for me. Again, it's a part of my brain I don't access easily. So I have to put a shit ton of focus into that, you know? So it's a me- medium to higher state of drive for me because it's just not natural. But crazy to think, yeah, sleep, absolutely. You shut your ears off, man, so you can get some slumber. I mean, it makes perfect sense that the body reacts that way. Yeah.
0: Well, and, you know, there's an interesting point. And I, I just interviewed with uh, Ted and Eric from Working Dog Radio on Sunday night. And the, the conversation happened organically, but we were talking about a lot of psychology and, and differences. And I, I had it in the forefront of my head to talk about ego depletion, but then I totally forgot. Have you ever heard that term, ego depletion? No. Mm-mm. Okay, so ego depletion is the, the conscious mind getting tired. You ever work like a really long shift or you had a super busy day where you had to focus and consciously think about things all day long and then you're just exhausted and all you want to do okay. is sit on the couch and veg out and you don't want to think about anything.
1: Okay. That's
0: called ego depletion. Well, they've done, uh, they, there was a uh, Klunger wrote in 2017. He's a scientist. I believe he's a scientist or he could be a writer. Um, but that's who I cited, um, because I read it and he was the author, but, um, they, Conducted studies in 2010 and 2017, and ego depletion, which is the the ego portion, is also responsible, or the conscious mind is responsible for discipline. You know, think about it. If a parent puts a child in a corner, and if that child forgets why they're in the corner, and let's say they have like ADHD, and they find a paint chip and they turn it into a little tiny tank, well, the question is, is that a punishment anymore? The right. is no, because they totally forgot why they were there and they're making a good experience about being there. But right. so you, you have to exercise discipline or you have to, you have to access the create the creative portion of the conscious mind in order to have discipline. Well, we found out that's true in dogs. That if for a dog to be disciplined, they have to be consciously focused on the task at hand. So when they go into ego depletion, can auditory exclusion happen? Now, I couldn't find any scientific research on that connection. So I'm only hypothesizing this, but I really feel like when a dog's brain is overloaded or they're exhausted and stress can cause ego depletion too. So if the dog is super stressed and they're not consciously thinking about what's happening in a new situation, is it possible that auditory exclusion can happen? I believe yes. Yep. So best- right to me, man. Yeah, and no solution for ego depletion, by the way, is a rest. You take a break, let let them unplug. And you ever heard the term, uh, you've worked the dog so much they're shutting down? I know you have. Sure. That's ego depletion. And what do we do? We put them up, we let them rest. So I think that the, the kind of the two are connected, auditory exclusion and not only having the dog hyper fixated on what's going on in the environment can cause auditory exclusion, But I also think that ego depletion is a contributing factor
1: of that as well. For sure, man. And one of the points I made too in that article was that I was involved in that shooting two years ago, man. And I shot eight times, never heard one of (laughs) them. No ear protection, no nothing. And my dog was right next to me too. Yeah. Again, again, the the brain dedicates, again, like you said, the thalamus. I couldn't articulate what it was back then, but I know my ears shut off. They're not, I don't need them. It was all eyes and, re- and all reaction, so. Yep.
0: Well, because the, the, the noise of the shot itself was insignificant compared to what you had in front of you, which was a threat. Right. So and you're right. It's no different in dogs, which is, is pretty awesome because I as I get more into the dog side of psychology, I'm realizing more and more and more that a lot of what's true with us is also true with them, which is why I really appreciate yep that you, you shared your human version of, of auditory exclusion. Um, right. And I hope that that really puts this into perspective for a lot of our, our viewers and to think about those times when your, your hearing shuts off, like whether it's your wife or your, your husband or wh- whatever the case may be, but put yourself in those shoes and imagine somebody getting really pissed off at you when something is happening, happening without your conscious control right? Sure. This, this is part of our survival. So that's actually a question that I have for you. Um, do you coach your, your students on um, not getting emotional when auditory exclusion happens? Can, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So it's not maybe something like a class or a block of education on that, but what I think comes with the, the understanding of what's happening in front of them and the mechanics to overcome it gives them that comfort and something to rely on. Once Once somebody's armed with the tools and the knowledge to effectively, you know, obtain a skill or get a technique in line that's effective, that emotional aspect hopefully doesn't come into play. Of course, you can't train for every scenario and recreate every environment. But, you know, a lot of those common denominators, you know, you have to get engaged with your dog. You have to utilize the tools to get them removed. And once you understand that, and and I think a lot of guys are going to start speaking less and less and less to their dogs on the street. You know, because they know it's why put yourself in that position. That was kind of my perspective. Again, in my environment, where most apprehensions took place in close quarters, where I'm hands on with a bad guy and my dog, is that why speak? Because I know he can't hear me. And you got sirens, you got cops, you got bad guys screaming, you got all kinds of environmental stuff going on. Why even speak? Because you know you're going to add zeros to that lawsuit over the more you speak and the less the dog does especially if you're trying to do a a tactical out on a flat collar your choke chain dropped down by his shoulders and it's just making him bite harder like educating my people on why that tactile communication is working against them and how to combat it gives them that comfort so hopefully they don't have that emotional spike in the moment of it you know so Mm -hmm. it's it's for me it's why speak don't (laughs) you know
0: well and that's, that's actually a really good point because that's something that I've been teaching for quite a few years is that if we believe that the dog is su- doing something intentionally, like for example, if a dog is in auditory exclusion and the, the handler believes that the dog is just being rebellious, well, then that's going to trigger anger. And when you treat a dog with anger, some dogs fight harder. Some dogs mm. shut down. Some dogs don- eventually don't want to work because mom and dad's always pissed. That's called learned helplessness. Exactly. So I think that's an important point that, that you're, you're talking about is to keep your emotions in check. And as you said it, you said it very well that educating people that this is something that just happens automatically. Just don't worry about it. Just do right. the techniques that you're talking about or that their trainer is, is teaching them. Um, but I really like that approach of, of if you know that this is a reality, stop talking to your dog. And I also like how you bring up yep. the repercussions in, in court for yelling and screaming and all this other stuff if the dog is hyperfixated,
1: fixated. And, and also in, in my power biting system, I use those things as cues for the dog to bite harder. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that can be overwhelming for a dog. So the things that you're talking about, like a strong dog, anger's gonna make him angrier. You know what I mean? And yeah. if there's pack conflict, it's gonna enhance that pack conflict. But in my power biting system, I, I create an environment where getting kicked, getting punched, getting screamed at, background noise, they're not distractions that we hope the dog goes to a genetic roller coaster ride and hangs in there. I actually have a system that makes them push and bite harder under that level of distraction. And something that one of the greatest components for me of NipoPo is preparing dogs for that, that threshold of, of being kicked, being punched, but also when corrected by the handler, it doesn't crush them. I want the corrections to be an activator into the target behavior. And there's a there's a system for preparing that you know for the for the dogs as babies as young dogs growing up so they're they're hardened to that but a lot of it comes down to the clarity of your communication system and your training for sure awesome. so there's there's a ton of factors and, and and you know one of the my main objectives was writing that article is that I, I teach a lot I travel a lot I train with a lot of canine guys. And some of our have cases that are take years to get to court, and I'm hoping that this reaches the ears of some of those folks that it's never the the the, the deployment of getting the dog out of the car that gets scrutinized. It's not sending your dog in the bag you got to get scrutinized. It's the amount of time that the dog's on the bite. Right. So if you're face, if you're facing that right, let's say you gave ten out commands. It's on camera. It took two minutes. You know, is a dog and it, it, they call it a training problem, right? Or they call it a, a handler problem, whatever they want to call it. Again, you're trying to recreate something you cannot do in training. So hopefully that this will arm some of the handlers or some of the agencies are facing litigation to explain why that happens. Maybe they won't lose some, maybe the dollar signs are what they are, but as far as punishing the cop or punishing the dog, this is, we're explaining to them. You are explaining the anatomy and the chemistry. I'm explaining what's happening in the street and all we can try to hope that it reaches the ears of some decision makers and people that may be facing this situation to help them out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that that's a, a really good mission, too. And and that's why I'm so passionate about this. This, this is why I, over the last few months, I've really been reaching out to people like yourself to say, hey, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to prove anybody right or wrong, per se. I mean, the science can do that. But it's all about just Can we explain things from a psychological and physiological or even biological um, point of view to put deeper explanations on why trainers such as yourself do the techniques that you do? And so far, everything that you've taught me about or that you've talked to us about today, um, it makes sense when I look at the science. So my point is, I think you're doing a great job out there. And I think that your techniques, they're, they're everything that I can see based on what I've read about the thalamus and what I've been studying. Um, that it coincides with the science. So good, good on you for that, man.
1: That's pretty awesome. I appreciate it, man. You know, just in the same breath as talking about forcing myself to make these movies and get on social media. Yeah, I'm 47, man. So the, the current administrations and most law enforcement are older than me, mm-hmm. right? So they're a little bit more behind social media. They don't understand the power of social media. But these defense attorneys and, and the public is watching, right? They're seeing information like this and there, there's no excuse to not reach out and grab it, right? Because they're going to things that we're saying or I got to twist the facts to try and just trip up a cop on the stand just enough to confuse a jury to think, okay, this cop doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, it's simply just throwing out buzzwords that the cop's not familiar with, man. So the etology, the, uh, the terminology, it, it, there's no excuse to not be well versed about it. And that's one of the main, again, a component of Nipopo that I'm passionate about is that you you must understand the lingo because the attorneys do. Yep. Whether they understand the effects of the behavior, no, they don't. But again, just enough to cloud the moment to cause some confusion to make you right. lose on the stand.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm on your side, brother, and I think you're you're doing some good stuff out there. I think your, your mindset's in the, in the appropriate place. Um, and you know that's something that I look for as I interview people, is trainers, handlers, and decoys that truly care about the police canine mission. And it boils down to intercepting the flow of narcotics and uh, tracking down and apprehending suspects that have broken the law. I mean, th- yep. those are really important tasks to keep our community safe. So it's been uh, really a pleasure to, to have had the opportunity to get to know you, Justin. I think you're doing some great stuff there at Canine Services Unlimited. And uh, I look forward to, I'm hoping that uh, maybe I can interview you again uh, here in the future.
1: Anytime, brother, man. I'm grateful for the opportunity, man. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much. And uh, for all you viewers out there, again, this is Justin Rigney with Canine Services Unlimited. Uh, If you're just listening to the video, make sure you go back and watch it because I'll be flashing up his um, website information, um, Facebook information, and, uh, all that other good stuff. And you'll have Justin's name and uh, all that good stuff. So coming up, I do have some more interviews happening this next week. We're going to talk about some other topics, which I'm really excited about. So stay tuned for that. And for now, stay safe, watch your six, and as always, Semper Fi.